Today, we, uh, we conclude the series that we've been in called Teach Me to Pray. We've been looking at the life of Christ, considering His life as, as a man, as a fully human, someone with flesh, blood, and skin, looking at the life of Jesus and saying, how did Jesus pray? How did He interact with His Father God in prayer and trying to see what He did and then say, okay, well, if that's what He did, how can we follow in that example? Week one, we began by looking at his ministry, and as he launched his ministry, we see the commitment there where he goes down in the water and he's baptized, and a spirit lands on him like a dove, and his father says, this is my son whom I'm pleased with, well pleased with. In a moment of prayer, there a moment of interaction with God where we see his ministry begins with God the Father. Week two, Lane preached and he showed us how Jesus started very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now, we don't know how early that is, and we understand because we kind of joked about it. Some of us say, I'm not a morning person, but Jesus found I need to start my day while it's still dark, go off to a solitary place where he spent time in prayer. What are you doing? Talking to God, getting his marching orders, finding out how am I going to do life today. Week three, look at how Jesus prayed all night long. Talked about how, why would he pray all night long is because he had some big decisions to be made, specifically decisions looking at who are going to be the disciples. God, who do you want me to go and tap their shoulder? It was after that prayer where then he started calling the first disciples and he called the tax collectors and he called the fishermen and he called the carpenters. He said, you, you come and help me. We're going to change the world. And then last week we discovered that life for Jesus was tough. And we know that when we consider the cross and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But even before that, before he starts his ministry, when he's just a young boy and into his early adulthood, we looked at last week some of the challenges he faced and how he started learning to trust God in prayer and how he handled those daily challenges. So, so far, if you were to put it in a summary, as I'm trying to, we're trying to learn, teach me to pray, what will we learn? Well, first of all, it must begin with God. We've got to have a relationship with God. We have to have a connection with God. I've got to trust my life to God, and that's where it all begins. And then we have to have a time where I get away with God. We've got to be purposeful that we have times to draw away in solitude to be, with, be, to be with God. And then we have to consult God. When we're going through life and we're making decisions, well, I want to ask Him what about the decisions I need to make and seek His guidance and His counsel. And then we walk with God in tough circumstances, when things are, are difficult, what do we do? I walk with God in prayer. And so today we conclude by turning the book of John. I want you to turn to the book of John with me as we discover our, our final principle that we see in Jesus' life when it comes to being a, a life of prayer. I must begin in John chapter 13, and then we're going to jump to John 17. So if you have your Bible app, you're going to have it out. We're going to cover a lot of Scripture days. It's not all going to be on the screen, so you want to make sure you open your Bible, whether it be a paper version or your Bible app. Have that ready. But in John chapter 13, it kind of sets us up for what we're going to dive into. John 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. Now, this is just shortly before Jesus is arrested. This is just before he's put on trial and then put to death. That's what's taking place. And the scripture says, he loved his own who were in the world. You got to stop and ask the question, who's that referring to? 
Who is he talking about? His own who are in the world. That's referring to the disciples, the 12. Because when Jesus chose the 12, and then he spent time with them and teaching them how to do ministry and and showing them miracles and and going about life, they got really close together. They were kind of like family. They were like the best of friends. And so Jesus loved them deeply. And this says, having loved his own who were in the world. And so then when you start walking on further, you start to understand the text a lot better when you understand it's referring to his relationship with his disciples. Let me ask you for a moment. Who are you close with? Who would you say are people in your life that you say, I love them deeply, I care about them greatly. There are people that are important to me. You stop and think about that. Maybe you think about your husband or your wife. You go, well, yeah, they're super important to me. I, I, I love them deeply. Maybe you think about a girlfriend or you think about a boyfriend or you think about your best friend. Maybe it's a coworker that has a, just a special fond spot in, in your life. Maybe it's a mom or a dad, an uncle or an aunt, a niece, a cousin. Maybe it's a neighbor. People who God have put, has put in your life that you have a chance to care about, a chance to d- develop relationship with, these are people in your life that we have a chance to love. Jesus was referring to people he was close to right here, mainly the disciples. He said, I love these people. And then you go on in John chapter 13 and John chapter 14 and John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, and you see this love for the disciples on display as Jesus Jesus guides them and he prepares them for what's to come. And so if you were to read through those chapters with the perspective going, oh, this is Jesus helping the people that he loved, it changes the way you see those four chapters. And then you get to John chapter 17, and Jesus has this great prayer. Turn your Bibles to John 17. We're going to look at this chapter together and just kind of walk through it. This is the longest prayer recorded in Scripture that Jesus prayed. Now, some would say that this is actually the true Lord's Prayer. There's a lot of meat and potatoes, so to speak, on this prayer as you dive into it. And I believe that we can gather some great ideas of how can I pray for people that I'm in relationship with, those who I'm really close to, and maybe those who I'm not so close to, but God has me in relationship with them, so I can be praying for them. And this prayer is a model for us of several items and several directions how we can pray. Let's begin in verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. That is so key. Verse 2 right there. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. Is that as he's praying, the word glory means I want to point back to God. And so this whole prayer is built on that premise that as I pray right here, I want to pray that I want to point everything I do to God. My life was about that. Jesus is basically saying to God, I I was here on earth. My life was about you because I want to glorify you. I want people to know who you are. He says, for you granted him authority over all people that he might have eternal life to all those you have given. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see a prayer right there? I'm praying that they will know you, Father. That's what I came for. That was my purpose. God, you sent me to this earth, and I'm praying that these disciples and those other people I have a relationship with, that they would know you. Is that not a prayer that we should be praying for our friends? That's a great prayer to be able to pray for someone. Lord, I want people to see my life. I want to glorify you with my life. And I'm praying that they would know you, that they would trust you as God. 
He goes on in verse 4, says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And so he's like, hey, I just want to point everybody to you, God, and I want them to know you. And then he starts digging in deeper as he starts to pray for his disciples. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. What do you say they did? They obeyed his word. That's another way for us to pray for friends and family, people we care about. Lord, I pray they know your word, and I pray that they would obey your word. I pray that they would have a hunger for your word. I pray they want to get to know you by knowing your word. And he says, now that they know that everything you have given me comes from you. I think that's another thing to pray about. Everything. I pray that my, my friends, I pray that my brother, I pray that my sister, I pray that my cousin, I pray that my best friend, I pray that my coworker, I pray that they understand that everything they have comes from you. The clothes on their back, the food that they eat, the roof over their head, the car that they drive, that's all blessings from you. They pray for everything. It continues, verse 8, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. They had a belief that Jesus' mission was real. And they had a belief that they understood that Jesus came from God. What a way for us to pray. I pray for my friends that they would believe in you, that they would believe in this message, even though the world tells us maybe it's not true or it doesn't make sense. I pray for my friends that they would believe in you. Verse 9, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. You know, it's right here in this prayer. He says, I'm not praying for this entire world. I'm just praying for these people that are close to me. Even Jesus did that. Pray for those who are real close. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. He prays for protection. The word protect there actually means, Lord, keep them in this belief that they have. They believe in the word. They're obeying the word. They believe that I was sent. And so protect them because the world is going to attack them when I leave. And I want them to continue in this process. And then he says that they may be one. In other words, I know that I've given them instruction. I've given them direction. I've given them marching orders. And I pray that they continue with those marching orders working together in Unity, one, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so the scripture would be fulfilled. I mean, he is just praying again for that protection. Keep them in that. It's the principle of isolation versus insulation. See, we as Christians, many times what happens, we think, well, I should isolate from the world. I should get away from all the stuff of Philip, all the stuff that's not of God. I just totally get away from those people. I'm not going to participate. But Jesus is saying, don't take them out of this world. Let them continue to live inside of this world, but protect them. In other words, put some insulation around them, some bubble wrap, so to speak. Put some bubble wrap on them so that as they're going this world, the world doesn't get all over them, but they can still influence the world. Why? Because we want people to what? Glorify the Father. We want them to see who Jesus is. We want them to know who God is. He says, verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. To pray for joy. 
You know joy is lacking in this world? How many times do you have conversations with people? How you doing? Oh, I'm stressed. Oh, I'm so worn out. Oh, I got this going on. And where's the joy in this world? We as Christians should be walking through this world with joy. The book of James tells us what? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So in other words, we're going to go through some hardships. You don't think Jesus knew that? Lord, I'm praying that they will have joy. They're going to go through some tough stuff. So in other words, when you're told, hey, cancer has hit, or you're told, oh, you lost your job, or you're getting, this is taking place, or your marriage is struggling, or your kids are doing this, can we walk in these trials and still have joy? It's possible. So that when we walk through this, this world, people in this world see us and they go, man, there's something different because why? We're trying to glorify the Father. Yes, I'm in some nasty, troubled spots, but I'm walking with God as we talked about last week. And so joy exudes out of me and people go, you're going through tough stuff, but it's not got you so down that you feel like your world's just falling apart. And he prays for that joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. It's kind of a repeat of what he's already been praying about, protection. What he's praying about there more specifically is testing. He's like, there's testing that's going to come. And I want to pray that as they are tested, kind of their faith muscles will be exercised and they'll be strong enough to stand up against temptation and testing that is coming. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. When that word sanctify, what he's saying is, God, you make them holy. God, you purify them. There's two major words we need to understand in Scripture. One is justification. The other is sanctification. Justification is what happens when we surrender to Christ. What happened on the cross, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we're justified. We're just as if I've never sinned. But sanctification is the process of letting Christ work inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be shaped more and more like Christ and more and more look like Him. And He's saying, Lord, as they're in this world, don't take them out of this world. As they go through struggles and trials and difficulties, protect them and sanctify them. So what? So they'll look more like Christ. They will be made more holy and more pure. That's a prayer we can pray for our friends. We can pray for those who are going through trouble, going through hardship, those who are going through difficulties, Lord, give them joy. Lord, sanctify them in this process. Many times, what do we pray? Many times we pray, oh, take that pain away. Take that trial away. Get them out of that situation. All the more when sometimes we need to stay in it because it's part of the sanctification process, being made more holy like Christ is holy. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. He goes on and starts praying for a larger group of people. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's saying for future people, people maybe I don't know yet, people that are an extended relationship, so to speak. He says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's like, listen, Father, we, we are one. Between the Father, between Jesus, between the Holy Spirit, we are one. He says, I pray that kind of oneness is in them, those who will follow. So he prays for oneness for the disciples, the people who are close. And he prays for oneness for those who are yet to come into Christ, that they'll be unified. Why? So that the world may know that you've sent me. You know, it's always amazing when you look at sports teams and those who win championships and those who don't win championships. It's amazing me. You can take a team that has the greatest talent 
And they may never win a championship. And you can take a team over here that's lesser talented, but they're much more unified and they can win championships. It's always amazed me how a sports team can do that. Why? Because they're unified. And Jesus is praying. I pray my disciples are unified. One, I'm praying that those who come to follow will be unified. Oneness, why? Because in oneness, then God's message is carried forward. In oneness, then God is glorified. And we point back to him. He goes on, verse 22, says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Complete unity. Working together, single purpose. We're working together for God's purpose. It goes all the way back to verse 2 where he says, I want my life to glorify the Father. He says, I'm praying for unity so that lives of Christians will glorify the Father. And he goes on, verse 24. It says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. What's he talking about there? He's talking about heaven. I want those, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. He's saying, listen, God, I know my day's coming. I'm going to ascend to be at the right hand of the Father. But God, these people that I love, those who are close to me and those who are on the journey and those who are going to come to follow, I want them to be in heaven. And I'm praying that they will know you and they will trust you and they'll be in heaven. Is that not a great prayer to pray for someone you care about? Lord, I pray for my son. I pray for my daughter. I pray for my wife. I pray for my husband. I pray for my coworkers. Lord, I pray for my, my, my son-in-law or my daughter-in-law. I pray for my nieces. I pray for my nephews. Lord, I want them to know you. I want them to be in heaven with me and be partying with me. What a prayer to pray. And that's what he's praying. Lord, I want them to be with me. He goes on and says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. He wraps it up with this idea of love. I want them to know the love of the Father. I want them to know the love of Jesus. He says, I want them to understand this love. You ever been misinterpreted? Your actions have been misunderstood? You're trying to love somebody and trying to care about somebody and they take it as maybe you're trying to gain advantage over them or you're trying to be a boss to them. As a parent, you understand that for sure. You're trying to guide your children in one direction and you're doing it out of love and they're thinking, Mom and Dad, you're trying to control my life and you're doing this to me or that to me. Or sometimes a friend or a coworker, or sometimes with your spouse. When it's all out of action love, Jesus is saying, I want them to know the love of the Father. And I pray that they see my love. And they see that my purpose was to come here so that people would know God. Ties right back to the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, I want them to see this love, experience this love, to know this love. Boy, what a prayer to pray. I pray that my friend, when I drop this meal off, or if I say these words, I pray they see my love. I pray that my kids will see my love so they know that my love is about them knowing who God is. You see what's happened in this great prayer? See, what's happened in this great prayer is there's a, there's a great discussion going on. Jesus is discussing with God some very key elements that's, that's taking place that he's concerned about for his friends and for his acquaintances, so to speak. It's like he's sitting down, like you might do with a friend over a, over a meal or over a cup of coffee and say, i got to talk to you about some stuff of great importance. And so let's, would you listen in here? Let me just bring up some of these things to you and, and share with you these great, these great things that are on my mind. 
Jesus is doing that with God in prayer. He's discussing things of great importance, saying, i got to bring this stuff out to you, God. i got to talk to you, Dad, about this, these things that are concerning me. When you pray, you dive in deep. These are prayers that are more than just kind of a softball prayer, just kind of surface-level prayer. This is praying more than just kind of praying for a simple sickness or a stub toe, so to speak. Not that we shouldn't pray for those things, because we're supposed to pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. But many times, what do we do? We stop with some of the surface level stuff. And Jesus goes in deep here. He prays that his loved ones will know God. He prays that they will know the word and that they would obey the word. Can we not pray that for people? We absolutely should. We, they pray, we can pray that they will know everything comes from him. Or we can pray that our friends will believe. We can pray for their protection while they're in this world. We can pray for joy in the midst of this crazy world that we live in. We can pray that when tested, our friends will be able to stand strong. We can pray for them to be sanctified, to be made holy. We can pray that they'll walk in unity of Christ. We can pray that your loved ones will be in heaven. And we can pray that they are filled and they are guided by the love of Christ. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was praying for them to know the word and obey the word. He was praying that they would understand everything comes from him. He was praying that they would believe. He was diving in deep. So when someone comes to you and says, listen, I've been given this illness, it's okay. We should pray for their healing. But what about praying for their healing, but also pray, Lord, while they're in the middle of this journey, sanctify them. Lord, while they're in the middle of this journey, give them joy. Lord, while they're going through this struggle, I pray they'll be unified in Christ. We can pray these kind of prayers and take it and dive in deeper. Someone comes to you and says, I've lost my job. What am I going to do? Well, we can pray for God to provide for their means and provide a new job. But what about praying again? Hey, God, while they're in this journey, this struggle of not having a job, what, would you protect their mind? Would you protect their heart from maybe doubts and things that draw them away from you? God, would you give them joy in the middle of this journey while they're walking through this trial of not having a job? That, that God, would you sanctify them? God, would you fill them with the love of Christ? We can take our prayers and dive in deeper off of the needs that people have. That's what Jesus was doing. He was taking it much deeper. Teach me to pray. That's the goal of the series. Help me know how to pray like Jesus. So you look at that, it begins with God. Let me ask you, have you started your relationship with God? That's where it all starts at. Last week we had our, our day of decision day and we had six people come forward and say, I want this to be my church. But we had four people surrendered their hearts to Jesus and were baptized. Those were people who said, I'm beginning my relationship with God. We had another three people say, I'm doing a U-turn. I've been kind of distracted. I've been wandering. And they said, God's got to get back and be first place in my life. Those are people who saying, I want to begin with God. This is where prayer starts at. Here in a moment, we're going to move to a time of commitment and decision and communion and offering. And we're going to have people at the cross and maybe today would be your day to go, i got to begin with God. I need to surrender. I need to put my faith in Jesus. I need to follow him in the Christian baptism, that water degree of baptism. We'd love to help you on that journey. You begin right there with God. And then you got to get away with God. I, I, don't, I don't know any other way to tell you, church. Our lives are way too busy. Way, way too busy. You've heard me say it before. Busyness is just being under Satan's yoke. That's all it is, is we're underneath his thumb, and we've got to carve out time to get away. And the way Jesus did it was very early in the morning. If you were here last week, I shared with you that 
If you want to start getting up early in the morning and say, well, I'm kind of a late night person. I'm not a morning person. I hear that often. I'm not a morning person. I used to not be a morning person until I started praying, Lord, would you wake me up when you want me to get up? You start praying, and I guarantee God will start waking you up. You'll start waking up at 3 or 4 or 5 in the morning. And life will start to change. You start praying, Lord, you wake me up very early in the morning while it's still dark out. Why did Jesus do that? Because life gets busy and crazy. And I, and, and church, as I, as I get older, the more and more I believe the way you begin your day is the way you'll live your day. If you begin your day with God, there's a much greater chance that everything you, throughout, you do throughout that day will be focused on God. doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. You're going to hit hiccups and have hard times and challenges. But when you begin your day by getting away with God very early in the morning, there's a greater chance throughout the day you're going to trust in God. One little trick I shared last week and going to repeat with you just so maybe a good chance to hear it. Is there some great tools on your devices nowadays? I know if you have an iPhone, there's a screen time control where you can put in how many hours you can be on a certain app or you can turn off certain apps. I've learned I have to control that in my life because Brian Bolton likes to get up and I like to check my email and go see what's happened on Facebook and check the sports scores from last night before you realize, they go, man, my time with God just got distracted. And so here recently, I went into the screen time app and you can do this and I powered off everything. I told my wife, I said, you put a passcode on it so I don't know it. And so when I get up in the morning, I don't know what the passcode is. And the only apps that's available to me in the morning is my texting app and my Bible app. It's been a beautiful thing because I'm winning the battle instead of letting Satan distract me with all this other stuff. That's not awful bad stuff. It just distracts me from spending my time with God first. It's one of the best things we can do is begin your time and got to get away with God. And church, if you're not a morning person, you're like, I can't figure that out. I've been praying. I haven't seen that. Then be very purposeful to carve out time to get with God. Consult with God on big decisions. Consult with God about daily decisions. God, what am I to do? So many times we just run and we go one thing, the next thing, the next thing, and we don't stop and say, God, what do you want from me? God, what do you want in this decision? God, should I spend this money? Should I buy this item? Should I go here? Should I go there? Should I take this job, not take this job? Consult with God on everything of life. Jesus did that. Stopped and talked to his father. Then walk with God, especially when life is troublesome. Walking with God means you fill your life with the scriptures. Just like in Deuteronomy where it says, put the scriptures on the door frames. Memorize the scriptures. Talk about it when you rise and talk about it when you lie down. Talk about it before you go to bed. All the time, just to fill your mind with the scriptures. Fill your mind with God. Use the apps. Use the radio stations. Listen to music that puts your mind on Christ so that as you walk through the day, you're walking with him. And then today, we just wrap up with discuss with God about your friends. Take the time to say, God, I'm really concerned about my friends and discuss things of deeper importance. Take their concerns and their prayer requests and and take it deeper just as we see Jesus did with the disciples as you consider, how do I pray? Church, we, we conclude today with this series. But may we not conclude trying to grow in this area of prayer. See here, the truth of the matter is this. We as a church will only be as healthy and as effective as a church as we are as a praying church. And a praying church begins with praying people who will do it on their own, and then also as we do that together as a congregation. So as we continue to grow, that's one of the big themes this year, is how are we going to grow in prayer? I want to encourage you, take, take a couple things from this series. Take a step with God. You say, I can't tackle all that. Tackle one thing. Take one step with God in your area of prayer, and start growing and go on this this growth journey with God and see how he will change your life.